and we are recording and i think this is the uh the third or fourth episode that i haven't worn these sunglasses because of a concussion i got two three weeks ago and uh i'd like to think i'm over it and then i find myself still just kind of slurring words sometimes and i'm like i'm still not there but for all future listeners today is tuesday june 7th 2022 at 208 p.m eastern time Yesterday, and I forgot to say it yesterday, yesterday, the 70th anniversary of D-Day, my grandfather's brother, Rich Collier, was there, 18 years old, Omaha Beach. I always tried to uh, acknowledge that on D-Day, and I forgot to yesterday. So wherever you are, great Uncle Rich, God bless. Thank you for your service. But that has nothing to do with today's episode. Boz, please introduce yourself, man. Yeah, good to be with you, Tommy. Uh, Basel Boz, Citadel uh, graduate, former captain of the United States Marine Corps, counterterrorism, um, former CIA Special Operations Officer and currently the founder of uh, the Association for the Recovery of Children uh, since 1993. It's a uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization of former military intelligence and law enforcement officers that are dedicated to the safe recovery of missing, exploited, and trafficked American children. And then uh, most recently, uh, much to my surprise and very grateful, uh, co-star on a TV show called The Blacklist with uh, James Spader for NBC. So that was a fun ride. And other than that, I'm just an American patriot and uh, glad to be here with you. Let's go into the, uh, let's go into your 501, 501-3C. I, I have very limited experience with that. I uh, lost a brother to suicide in 2014 and me and my brother started a 501-3C and raised some money for mental health research. That's about the extent I know of 501-3Cs, but not, not the actual nonprofit aspect of it. What made you want to get into that? Um, I mean, aside from it just being a generally, you know, good thing to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, Tommy, I, uh, be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> it's not what I decided to do. Sometimes we get called to do some things and when you get called to do something, um, without sounding too religious, you know, it's like hearing a voice from God that says you're going to do this. And mm-hmm. if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And so until you get involved with it, it just gnaws at your soul. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like being downrange a little bit and no one wants to go after your buddies that uh, maybe got jacked up across the line. And you realize that at all risks, including your life, if you don't go back in, they're not going to survive. So you go. And if you're fortunate enough, uh, you survive and they come out alive. And I think a lot of warfighters can relate to that. So in 1993, um, I was in Mogadishu, Somalia, uh, was part of the Gothic Serpent. Uh, well, I was part of the CIA paramilitary group that were the first ones in before the military got there. Okay. And of course, we were doing what CIA's paramilitary guys do. And uh, we were attached to, uh, we had uh, some attachments and detachments. Part, part of that was Center Spike and uh, a couple of other people. And, uh, on a given day, we uh, located a couple of little girls that were really out of place. They were wearing green T-shirts, blue jeans, aviator glasses, and not in ditch at all. And uh, we struggled with what we should do with those little girls. Uh, we, we basically the first day and uh, ashamedly, uh, we just scratched it up to collateral damage. You know, we can't save the world. This is not our mission. Not what we're here for. We can't bring them back to the safe house. <laughs> but excuse me, I think we all wrestled with it. And um, that evening, uh, 
probably the spookiest time of my life, Tommy. Uh, uh, I was up on the uh, top of the uh, safe house. It's a flat roof. We had painted an American flag up there to, in case there needed to be a strafing run. It was like, hit everybody else, but don't hit this building. Kind of thing. <laughs> you know, so uh, what's calling fire around the neighborhood. Um, but uh, I, I struggled, wrestled with it. And, uh, and I looked up and, you know, the African sky was just blanketed with literally, I think it must have been billions of stars and uh, <clears throat> kind of a interesting moment. And I looked up there and I just said, dear God, why aren't you doing something about this? Meaning the war, the kids, all the turmoil, <clears throat> excuse me, and strife I had seen over the years and including this, which was just kind of culminating in, into a big hodgepodge of feelings and emotions and trying to make logic out of it and, you know, the scrambling your brain. And so anyway, um, I heard a voice that just said, I did, I created you. And um, now I don't have to talk, talk to a lot of people this, but when you hear something, you hear something. Now people go, well, it's just kind of in your head. No, 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 no. This wasn't just in my head. This was an audible voice. And mm -hmm. I turned around to think it was one of my guys that had been listening to me. And there was nobody there. It was one of the spookiest days of my life. I mean, it was just really odd. And um, so I left and went downstairs to an, a meeting we had. And um, one of our case officers had just come back with uh, some information or intel from an asset, gave the briefing. And then as he was leaving, he said, um, hey, you know, the weirdest thing, though, he said, there's this American lady that just opened an orphanage right here in the war zone. She, he goes, how crazy is that? And then all of a sudden the light bulb went off in everybody's head and we all just went, that's where we'll take those kids. So the next day we uh, grabbed the battle gear and went out and looked for them. We found them, took them to the orphanage, got them settled in. And then later, actually, uh, some of the team actually went out and found this girl's mother and her little brother who was about one years old at a refugee camp, reunited them all. <coughs> Excuse me. And when I got home, to the U.S. for the first time in my life, um, I wondered what happens to American kids. I just thought all kids just kind of go to elementary school, you go to high school, you graduate from college, and everybody, that's what happens to every kid in America, right? Not the case. At that time, as I inquired with law enforcement, there were about 250,000 American kids missing um, in the U.S., and the word trafficking wasn't really well known. Uh, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on child pornography. They were just all considered runaways. And so um, I felt called uh, at that time uh, to go out and just give it a shot on my own and see what kids I could rescue. And every Thanksgiving, while I was still in the CIA, or Christmases or holidays, Sometimes even weekends, I would go out and find a case and go rescue a kid, stay under the radar. And then after, from 93 to 96, uh, I had done enough of that to realize uh, that there was something bigger than overthrowing small governments. And for me, it became saving innocent kids who were caught up in this profiteering mechanism to sell their bodies. 
I mean, right now, you know, it's the darkest a big, thing in the world. Yeah, it's it's really dark. And there's this push now by the LGBT QXYZ, whoever those guys are, Oil to to say, hell. you know, oh well, this is like gender related, and adults should be able to have sex with children, and they they don't know what the heck they're talking about. It's just evil. So anyway, I watched this whole thought process continue to perpetuate to a point where everybody thought it was okay to use children as a commodity. And so um, I wanted to do something about it. Now, keep in mind, Tommy, I'm not going to stop child sex trafficking, not in our lifetime. But what I can do is step up to the plate and do my part while I'm still here on this earth. And so that's what I decided to do. And in my 1996, uh, I jumped ship from the agency and, um, went full-fledged with the nonprofit. And um, so that's what takes up. It literally consumes uh, my time 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, that's what we do. But it's, but it's beautiful. It's not, it's not, it's not working at a nine to five. It's not sitting in a cubicle. It's if, is it consume, is it it, that it consumes your time or is it something that uh, you're able and blessed to devote time to? Well, I think you put it well. I'm able and blessed to do it. Uh, when I say consume time, I, I yeah. think I use that term because a lot of people, especially if they're part of a task force um, or they're part of some kind of three-letter agency that supposedly is fighting trafficking, at at five o'clock on Friday, they all go home. And our organization and, and other NGOs that are doing what we're doing, they don't go home at five o'clock on Friday. It doesn't stop. And we always laugh about it. We go, of course, there's no child trafficking on the weekends. We know that, you know, and that's why everybody goes home. Well, that's not true. It's not true, obviously. You know, you got to be ready when you get a call from a, a somebody that says, hey, I got a 12-year-old that's running away from their pimp or, you know, has escaped. And they're here in wherever. It could be Phoenix, Denver, L.A., any, any place. You got you to go. You got to go. No questions asked. If you've got the financing and the mechanism to roll out, you you go, and uh, that's what you do. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say like I, yeah, I'll say this podcast consumes all of my time, but it's not. Yeah, it's a reframing of words. It's not a consumption. It's I'm so lucky to do this every day. What you talked about with uh, just I I, I don't know. In my mind, I, I can't not relate. I've interviewed Mike Durant several times. And that's why I immediately thought of when you said uh, Mogadishu, Somalia. I mean, yeah, he went down in the, in the bird. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. He actually grew up in the same small town that my dad did. Just oddest wow. of all of all similarities. Um, yeah. But I think about, um, I've interviewed Joe Kent several times. He's running for Congress out of Washington State, former Green Beret, uh, CIA paramilitary. His wife was CIA, I think an analyst or linguist. She was killed by a suicide bomber in Syria in, in January 16th, 2019. And he talked about why, I mean, this is, this is the last guy to run for office. I mean, long hair, it's got the beard, tats all the way up. I mean, you know, special forces yeah. through and through, but he has two little kids. And as he said to me, he's been on here like 10 times, but I think the first episode, probably about a year ago, he said he was looking around and he's like the last thing i want to do is like run for office he was like it's oh just the gosh. sleaziest thing but he goes 
what am I going to do looking at the direction of the country? What am I going to do in 20 years? And tell my kids like, Hey, sorry, I was, I was busy. Um, and kind of what you said about the voice people go, Oh, that's your own internal monologue. I, I grew up conservative Catholic Christian up until I was like 16. Just went full atheist, just edgy teenage rebellion for like 10 years. Um, around 26 kind of turned agnostic. That was two years after my, my brother took his life. And I was dabbling with some psychedelics and in in summer 2020 I interviewed Charlie Duke the youngest man ever to walk on the moon he's like 90 mm-hmm. now but I remember him coming on and it was just weird because like now like the podcast is growing a little more it's at like 10,000 subscribers it's a little cooler then I was doing it on a laptop above my parents garage with like 100 subscribers and I was just wondering why in the world one of four men alive have walked on the moon while he was doing my podcast. And he told me afterwards, he said he normally doesn't do these. He said a voice told him, he's very, mm-hmm. very religious. He said a voice told him to come on my podcast. And I was like, and so I remember asking him, and this is perhaps the ego of all egos. I was, I said, my concern, and this is like a homeless person saying they're concerned about not knowing what color Lamborghini they want. Huh. And I was like, as someone that just, when I pursue something, I pursue it ravenously, rapidly, rapidly. <laughs> I mean, I got in a medical school out of college, got in a pharmacy school, published research in aquatic toxicology. When I aim at something, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to him, my concern was, what if I get everything I want? What if my podcast turns into the biggest thing ever? What if I make more money than I can handle? And what if I realize that there's, that's not the answer. And again, a very ego driven question, but he told me that, you know, we go into the air force, you want to be a pilot. Said the next best thing, not the next best thing. The tippy top is to be an experimental pilot X 15, right? You're the, I mean, CIA, like a paramilitary, you're the tip of the spear. You're the, you're not even the tip of the spear. You're the glint on the tip of the spear. And he goes, well, what's above that? And I was like, I don't know. What is above that? And he was like, going to space during the space race. And I was like, I guess that is. And he's like, and what could possibly be above that? And I was like, going to the moon. And he was like, walking on the moon. And then what? You come back. He worked on the space shuttle. He was like, I, I didn't care. It's like, I started drinking. I was a terrible father. Wow. And he goes, Tommy, and I'm not trying to put this on you. I'm not trying to proselytize. He goes, the only thing better than walking on the moon is, is walking with God. Mm. And when he first said it, I was like, well, that's, you know, that's like a nifty Hallmark card. But he did say to me, and this is what I really appreciate about it. Is, you know, I told him a biology major, got into medical school. He's like, as a science driven mind. And I was like, uh-huh. And as he is, he goes, I want you to try an experiment. As I told you beforehand, I was telling him, I was like, I meditate. Sorry, Mr. Duke. That's why I'm late. 700 episodes later, same excuse. And he goes, next time you meditate, just ask God to come into your heart. And he goes, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But he was like, it's an experiment, right? It's like a control experiment. You know, hmm. if you want, let's see if gravity works. Just, just run an experiment, Tommy. Just let go of the bottle. Oh, it fell. I guess gravity's there. And he said, just try it. And if it's not there, then it's not there. And I don't know what to tell you. And normally I'd kind of brush it off and be like, you know, dude, keep it to yourself. Keep your religion to yourself. But I was at the spot where I was like, let's, let's try it. And this is a very long-winded way of saying, sure. I 100% know what you're talking about when you do feel something that just says like, yeah. And I remember I was like, 
well, like, what am I supposed to do with all of this? And I'm still not entirely sure. But I know that the answer is I'm supposed to use this podcast to help. And that sounds like the most BS, politically safe, I'm going to help. Help what? I think the answer is probably with mental health. I'd like to do something in relation to my brother. But I've interviewed people involved uh, when this fight and um, what, safe house, human tra- anti-human trafficking, um, literal providing safe houses. This is, as I said, this is a very long-winded kind of all over the place response to you, but, and with like what Joe Kent said, I a hundred percent know what you're talking about. It's not as, it's not as intense, intense as being in Mogadishu and looking up at the African night sky. I was, you know, meditating on a bed in an air conditioned room in suburbia, (laughs) but I a hundred percent understand the, and it's not let your own voice. No, no, no. It is out. This is my hand. If I feel something on my leg, I go, that's not my hand. That's someone else. Right. You feel it as real as I feel these lights on. It feels as real as I can hear snapping. You feel it. And it says like, this is what you're supposed to do. And like you said, why are you letting all this evil happen? Why did you let my brother die? Well, no, 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 no. You had to experience that because then why else would you ever get in the fight? Why would you ever do that? Why would you not just chase tail and i don't really know where i'm going with this but i guess i just wanted to say i do i understand entirely what you're talking about there is something that inside of you says like they're you're here to do this don't don't question why is it around no no the fact that you're aware of it yeah yeah yeah, it it kind of falls on you You go oh i'm i have to do this all right and you can't you can ignore it all you want but as maya angelou said the author there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story. It eats at your soul. Yeah. It, it eats at your soul and you can ignore it forever or you can just finally kind of pick up the cross and you're like, all right, this is, this is what I'm carrying. Yeah. Um, well, I've learned it's interesting. Many of, many of my breed um, have danced with death for a lot of years and um, it's just really interesting for, for many, if not most of my team members who are all former tier one operators, we've all been downrange together and operated. You know, um, it's really funny. Um, early on in a lot of operations, uh, I would say something like um, hand of God, mm-hmm. you know, this will watch the hand of God. And uh, they'd laugh and at me to a certain degree. And then after all these crazy, wacky miracles would happen, they'd, they'd be going, Dude, hand of God, hand of God. Yeah. You know, we should. We were supposed to die. Hand of God. I yeah. don't know. Whatever that crazy thing is. So um, I, I've learned that, I don't know if it's we, we get wiser when we're older, or if it's that our experiences actually make us think differently. I'm not, not sure really, but I've learned that God doesn't need our belief or disbelief in order to exist. And for some reason in our human omnipotence. We think we control things that are out there that are bigger than us. Like God, you know, I look, I don't understand everything about God. And I think, I think he loves us enough that he's, that's why he said, don't lean to your own understanding, but just trust me. I I tell my guys this all the time when things happen, I go, you know, so many people won't move on in life when an event happens in their life. Like, like we lost Larry and in Somalia, or I've lost other buddies, or 
Tom Flores, a buried in Arlington. I mean, the list goes on and on. We've all, many of us have had those, those moments. They're bone crushing to us. You with your brother, same thing. Um, but if, if you can't, if you don't move on, it's like, it's like you and I, Tommy, standing in the middle of the road and a car comes along and runs us over, right? And we survive and we get up and I look at you and I go, Tommy, why did that car run us over? And you go, Boz, I don't know. Did you see that dude? Man, Tommy, why was he going? And you're going, no, I don't know. But, and we're standing there debating it, trying to understand it. You know what's going to happen? We're going to get hit by road. another car. <laughs> we're going to get run over again. So what you do is you get out of the road and you get on the sidewalk where it's safe, so to speak, and you continue your journey. Because you and I may never, ever, ever see that driver of that car ever again in our life. But if our existence depends on us understanding why he or she did whatever they did, we'll be stuck forever. Yeah. <clears throat> now, you can be stuck forever, <clears throat> and you can be the victim and not do any good for yourself or do any good for the rest of the world. You know, and, I, and, I, and I ca- there's a caveat to all this. Look, a lot of us know what it's like to be standing there with our buddies dead in front of us. You don't have time under the heat of battle to try and figure out why it all happened. You just move. You grab your buddies. You get to the rear. You do whatever you have to do to survive. And then later somewhere in life, maybe you have time to figure it out, but it's a little bit safer. So you don't get yourself killed or run over as well. So this whole um, issue about life and about what God is and how it exists, I I will tell you that um, my grandfather was a Muslim. He came to America. He was Muslim, married a Native American woman who was a Christian. Now, my grandfather, when I was graduating from the Citadel, I'll never forget this. I don't know what happened in his life. I walked. I was at his house. I, I can see it now. I was heading back to school on us a Sunday afternoon, back to the Citadel. And my grandfather, he, he called me as I was going out the, out the front door. My middle name was Hassan. And he said, Hassan. And I said, yeah, granddad. He goes, you know, this thing your grandmother spoke of. And my grandmother had passed away when I was uh, four years old. So I didn't really know what he was talking about, you know? And I said, no, granddad, I, uh, I don't know. What are you talking about? (laughs) And he said, this thing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I said, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. He goes, it is true. That's it. In his broken English. That's all he said was it is true. And we stood there looking at each other for a moment. And then I gave my hug and I went off to school. Never forgot that. So here's a guy that had been a devout Druze Muslim all his life. Something had changed and he didn't go to church. So whether he saw it on TV, whether he had divine inspiration, whatever it may be, he came to the conclusion (coughs) that there was a God out there that loved us very much. And to answer your question, and very much like the conversation you had with that amazing astronaut that walked on the moon. When you do it all, at the end of the day, no matter how old you are, you always go, what's next? Uh-huh. Now, I'll tell you what's next. Eternity is next. And what we do here echoes in eternity. So the question is, what do you want to do to prepare for it, I guess? How do you want to be ready? I, I find in the faith-based community, most quote unquote Christians. And I can't speak to Muslims or Hindus or anything, but we spend our time asking God for stuff all the time. 
all the time. You know, it's interesting. There's a scripture, there's many scriptures in the Bible, but in the Holy Scripture it says, be still and know that I am God. God. And sometimes I like to tell my fellow believers, look, you know what? Why don't you try this? If you're wondering why you're not understanding who God is, or God's not talking to you, or you can't talk to God, maybe you ought to just go someplace and sit and be still like David did and Solomon and all those guys, and just be in his presence. It's no different than Tommy, if you and I have been lifelong friends, but every time I wanted something from you, I called you up, you know, instead of just wanting to hang with you. It's a big difference. And we got people like that. You know how it is. We got people that call us up and go, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. And they go, hey, I was wondering, can you do this for me? Or can you do that for me? I'm I'm guilty of doing that to people. (laughs) Well, versus the people that just are there for no other reason than to be with us. And I find great value in that. And that's what I would tell the world, you know, for all the people that choose not to believe or can't believe or don't know, you know, it's like a kid that lives in the inner city. I got to tell you, I live in the Rocky Mountains. When we bring inner inner city kids out here that have seen nothing but concrete all of their life, you should see the transformation that takes place in their lives. <laughs> they stare out at 14,000 foot mountains, elk, deer, and they go, this is, what is this? What, yeah. what is this? Fresh air, whatever it may be, their whole life. Because guess what? Now they can see the glory of it all. You know why? Because they're just in it. Yeah. They're just there. They don't take anything from it. They just sit with it. And I think that as we get older in life, and it, you don't have to be older, hopefully, there are people younger than you and I that realize this, but I think sometimes if it's the God question, we're foolish if we think, if we think we own God, whatever, whatever that is, and then omnipotence. And I just look around at the sky and all that. And I go, okay, look, I may not understand everything about God. And my mom told me I will never understand everything about God until I leave this earth, I'm sure. But you know what? There's a big fingerprint out here. I don't know about a lot of people, but I can see it. There's something a lot bigger than me. Oh, you, and, and, and you can. And again, the scientist in me, that little voice on my shoulder says, where's the evidence? Quantify it. Put it in a research paper. Where are your citations? And I'm like, there's, I remember asking uh, my physiology professor in college, as I got more and more interested in the brain, I wanted to do anesthesiology. Mm-hmm. And then I, I mean, I, I was a real cool kid in college on my off days, instead of going out and partying as, at UGA, the number one party school in the nation. On my off days, I would read a neuropsychopharmacology book. I would read about how caffeine binds to adenosine receptors in your brain. And, you know, yeah. and I, I loved the idea of the mind. And I would go in and I'd try to and meditating. I've been meditating every day since 2008. And I would go in and um, I would just try to learn about how this happened. Because it's a very real thing. I mean, you, you sit there. And one thing I remember I used to do is like I'd, I would like sit there and I would just kind of like read a paragraph about how I felt. And then I would drink like a Red Bull. And I would write a paragraph 10 minutes later. It's different. I'm seeing a different world. Do it again a week later. Chug a beer real quick. Sit that you can see how it changes. Oh, the sky looks prettier. Oh, I feel all these different things. Do it when you're hungover. You're like, they're all is lost, you know? But like, I was really obsessed with how matter interacted with the ethereal. How, How did matter plug into different receptors in your mind? And then the subjective is different. Eventually, 
I reached the point where I was like, there is no, I cannot find the answer here. And there's something called the easy question and the hard question of consciousness. The easy question is, ironically enough, talking about the moon, the easy question is like going to the moon. Yeah. You look at it in the 50s and the 60s and you go, we could do it. It's going to be really hard and we're probably going to lose a lot of guys. But there is a path. We just have to put this much money into it. We got to have the fear of God that the Russians are going to beat us. Got to learn, you know, got to get those Nazis help us build the rockets. <sighs> some guys with balls big enough to sit on top of them. But it's there. We could land them there. The hard question, that's the easy question, is it's difficult. Okay, let's look at it right, let's look at it right now. The easy question is, can we get to Mars? We can. It's going to take a while. We can figure it out. The hard question is, is what is consciousness? So the easy question in, in like neurology is, can we map the whole brain? Well, we could give it time. I mean, you know, give it time. In 1960, the NSA had some really big computers with like five megabytes of memory. Mm. I've got a hundred terabytes on, on the desk next to me. Give it time and we will map the brain. The hard and there is a purpose to this whole rant. The hard question is, how do we? How does it make this the isness? When you be still, there's not nothing. I am, and I finally realized that I was never going to find the answer. And you could even look back into, I think, like the 1700s. There was like, you know, those scientists with like the powdered wigs there. They, of course, they use like a 1700s analogy. They're like, if you could blow up the mind to the size of a windmill and you walked around inside, you're never going to find consciousness. Mm. And I finally, when I hit that moment of reading every book, taking molecular biology and genetics and proton pumps and, and self-replicating proteins and how did it all get here and it's all moving around, it eventually dawns on you that it's not there. You cannot find it. And that's not a defeatist attitude. That's not saying, well, we'll never get to the moon. No, we will. It's the realization that I will never find the answer to consciousness in this book or with any microscope. However, the fact that I exist and am inquiring into this at all says consciousness is real. It's the realest thing I know. It's the, yeah. It is the core of it all. So that whole kind of scatterbrained rant I just went on is how I look at God. I'm not going to... You're never going to prove you're in a dream when you're in a dream. You ever had dreams where you wake up and you Good go, point. yeah, you go, that was just a dream. And then you wake up again. <laughs> you go, yeah. you okay, wait, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> you can't, you cannot break the video game character will never understand it's on a, on a, on a computer. And that's, and a scientist critic might say, that's a cop out. All right, sure. You can take that. I know more real than I can feel gravity below my feet. I can feel the earth pushing up against me more realistic than I can feel my fingers and knuckles cracking. I can feel God guiding me. In the You're fortunate that you can do that because there are probably a billion people out there, Tommy, that don't have that relationship and they can't feel that. They never say, you know, the mind, the body and the spirit can never be separated. And science, interestingly enough, as we grew up, science and not all scientists, 
but it was a it was something created to define this is science and this is God. The reality of it is God owns all the science. I mean, look at frequencies. Man didn't create frequencies, magnetic charges. Man didn't do that. You know, and and if you want to know the omnipotence of God, wrap your head around this. And I've yet to find one friend of mine. And I live around, I have scientists who are former NASA scientists that live on the mountain with me. I've had great discussions with them. God has no beginning and he has no end. Yeah. Tell me what that means. And I have yet to find one man on earth that can wrap his head around all of that and go, wait a minute. And when I think about that, I go, okay, you know what? I'm okay with that. You know, and when I see <coughs> life itself created, or I see someone who's going to die and I go, wait a minute, if you're omnipotent within yourself, save yourself right now. Your last breath let's go. I'm not going to take my last breath and I'm going to live forever in this body as it is, you know, and I've yet to find one man or woman on this earth that can do that as well. And in that, I am satisfied knowing that there's something bigger than me out there and what has been revealed to me is that if we call that structure, that power, that omnipotence by a name, and we know from our personal experience that that name has called to us and we feel a bonding and a relationship because most humans react to relationships. They know they're comfortable with that. Their spirit is either for it or against it. Um, and I find that when we are against a relationship with God, it's, it's really simple. It's just that we want to do what we want to do. That's it, you know, or we think God's going to take something away from us if we believe or whatever, or it requires us to be good and moral and follow a straight path and be kind to people. <coughs> and <coughs> most everybody that knows me <coughs> knows that I don't have a gray area. It's, it's black and white. For me, it's like there's good and evil, whatever that's going to be. When people go, well, you, do you believe you know what's right? I absolutely know what is right. In my spirit, if I do something wrong. And do bad people know what's right and wrong? Absolutely. Because why do bad people do their deeds in the, in dark. the dark? Yeah, That's right. Why are they always, they do a bad deed and they run away or they try to hide or they try to cover up. There's mm -hmm. something even in their own spirit that says this was not a good thing. And that good thing, that thing that's not a good thing hurts a lot of people. So we find a difference in people. There are people that have good hearts and there are people that are just rotten tomatoes, man. I mean, it's like, it, it's just there. And I don't know a lot of people. I know there are people that try to liberalize it to go, well, it's, it's, it's only evil in your mind. It's not evil in your mind. No, you, you try to convince me that, the pedophile who raped the four-year-old girl and then buried her in the woods is good in his mind. Guess what? I, I'm not, I can't buy it. <laughs> I had a lady. It's funny. I had a lady. She was a psychiatrist at one of my speaking engagements. And I was talking about this very issue, you know, um, crimes against children. And afterwards she came up to me and she says, well, don't you think we owe it to society so that we try to get in there and find out why that child molester 
did what he did or why the, why the pedophile does what they do. And I looked at her and said, ma'am, I don't need to know why they do it. I know it's wrong. That's all I need to know. You know, so a lot of people, one thing about me is hopefully people will always know me. I don't compromise on things, you know, when it comes to right and wrong. And I don't care. I don't really, you know, give a rat's ass whether people like me or not. I'm not here to be liked. I think we live in a world now where, especially the world of wokeism, where everybody wants to be accepted and everybody wants to be, you know, liked by everybody. I don't want to be liked by everybody. I don't want to be liked by terrorists. I don't want to be liked by certain members of our culture. I, I'm not. I'm not here to satisfy people. I'm here to do the right thing, to keep a moral lane to stay in, and to help people, and in our case, rescue kids, and do the best job I can until I depart this earth. That's my responsibility, because none of those people are going to stand before God with me. I'm going to stand there by myself, and I'm going to answer to God. Now, you know, if if you study biblical history, and I'm not talking about just the Bible. I'm talking about everything historical. I mean, the Bible itself is this amazing history book that's constantly being backed up by archaeology. It's actually fascinating, you know, particularly if you like history and you like cultures and you ask, why did this person do this? And then we learned out of the scriptures that history repeats itself. Oh, People yeah. that did things back then are still doing the same bunch of shenanigans now and the whole thing, except for I haven't seen I haven't seen fire come from heaven yet, you know, in modern days, but who knows that may come eventually again. You know, you never know. Who knows? I mean, space force is up there now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they can direct energy. <laughs> just the right. Yeah. Fire something down here. But anyway, I, I think that, uh, you know, what's interesting is I think that a lot of the human race all over the world gets distracted by so many things and they don't do a lot of, like what you're doing. They don't sit and meditate. They don't, they don't, they're not introspective. Um, they, for some reason, think that we're going to take everything with us when we depart here. They, they don't look at life eternally. They sadly, and many of them hopelessly, um, live a life that um, consumes them with so much material stuff and so much distractions that they can't even hear themselves think sometimes, Mm. you know, and they posture themselves to be known and loved among the world rather than God, to be honest with you. And, and then there are some of us that after you've had enough life experiences, you go, you know what? I, I love it here. It's beautiful. God created an amazing thing, but I don't, I don't, I don't answer to the world. No man, no man. You know, it's really funny when, when Jesus was, when he was going to be crucified and then resurrected, he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. And there was a purpose. Well, what's interesting with people like ourselves is that despite what the world may think, no one takes our life from us. Only God controls that. And when it's his time, it's his time. But before that, no man, no man has power over us. If we abide with God by our side, if we could see with the eyes of angels, it'd probably scare the pants off of us. You know, the war that rages around us, 
war principalities and darkness mm-hmm. and good and evil. I mean, you know, there are dimensional things out there that I'm pretty convinced exist. Um, we tenth, just can't, we just can't 10, see. A thousand percent. Tenth, I, yeah. I, I'm I, sorry to interrupt. As I get no, no. older and, and meditate more and more, I'm like, I'm like, oh, there, this is, this is my, this is, this is my kind of take on it. And I, again, I apologize for interrupting. I got to get this thought out. Oh, do it. I look at it as like the Cold War. I love the Cold War, not for the impending thermonuclear Armageddon. I love the bunker systems. I love strategic air command. I love the espionage. I love the just the every from, I mean, right now I'm reading a book about how we had NSA stations up on these like floating ice islands and uh, the North Pole that weren't even permanent. And they'd have to evacuate the, uh, the analysts every once back in the 50s because the islands would break apart. Insane. I look at that and I look at, so what were the two technologically advanced nations? Soviet Union and the United States. The Soviet right. had their official satellites, the former bloc nations, and we had our our allies, our Westphalian allies, right? Comes into the whole domino theory. You can't let Vietnam fall. You can't let Korea fall, blah, blah, blah. You look at the most advanced things, the corona, the keyhole, the hexagon satellites in the 60s, right? Putting a man on the moon. And then you have, you know, the lesser advanced nations that are still our allies, Britain, France, but we don't give them all the good stuff. But then you look at the proxy wars, Korea, Vietnam, the Mujahideen. And you go in there and you think there are guys there with sandals and AKs who don't understand anything outside that world. I mean, truly don't. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm friends with, uh, with Dale Comstock, uh, CIA ground branch. And he talks about like going out there and uh, he was trying to tell one of the, uh, one of his, uh, his indige about us landing on the moon. And the guy started laughing at Dale and he looked up at the sky, and he held his fingers and he goes, it's too small to stand on. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. 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 Um, and you think about that. So the point of all of that is to say, now wind the clock back like 50 years. Think of how unadvanced they are. They were receiving aid from us. We were giving them technology. We were giving them radios. We were giving them, you know, targeting devices. They didn't understand that to the average person. That was that not the hand of God or the hand of Satan going here. You don't understand us. You don't even really know we exist. You know, the best CIA asset doesn't know they're an asset, but here's the technology. And you're, we are, we are manipulating your world right now. Russia, China, the United States, we're all manipulating. We'll put our hands in the puppet of Ukraine. If we can see that happen there, why can't it happen a level above us? If I can look oh, down absolutely. at a dog and go, I'm smarter than the dog, I then have to logically conclude that there could be something more aware than me. So Absolutely. why wouldn't there be? We may, and it's easy to write them off. You go, oh, you're talking about demons? Demons, aliens, call whatever you want. Maybe a bigger Cold War. Why wouldn't those be manipulating our world like a proxy army? The very things we, the very things you were involved with, overthrowing small governments. How yeah. come there isn't a bigger one with the best asset is one that doesn't know it's an asset? What would what would an alien, what would a demon do? Yeah. You wouldn't know you were there. You would think it was all us. Oh, it's just us doing this. It's just us. You know, we're we're woke. It's LGBT, whatever the hell. And the, the you know, kids have to, you know, watch these guys and thongs dance because it's progressive. What would if something was trying to corrupt your society or use it to its own ends, like we've done with countless nations around the world? How else would it do it? You yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't. Sorry, I, 
again, sorry for that interruption. No, no, you wouldn't know. You're, I think you're spot on. And look, you know, I, uh, I, I think that people that are so short-sighted that they don't believe in exactly what you're talking about right there, um, border somewhat on being foolish, mm-hmm. you know, they will say, well, if you can't see a demon or you can't see what Tommy's talking about, it can't exist. All right. Well, okay. Well, you, can you see air? Uh, no, you cannot see air, but, but it exists. Do you agree that it exists? It's, can you see the wind when it comes and goes? Uh, no. Do you see the effects of the wind on the trees, right? So what do we see in society? We see the effects of demonic influence on the people and how they react. And what's interesting about life itself and this earth that God created, oftentimes we mimic what is taking place in another dimension. I'm thoroughly convinced that if it were not for outside influences, both good and bad, um, we would not be able to, we would not be seeing what we see right now in the world, you know, and some of us get to see evil in a different level. You know, look, I mean, from our perspective, you know, someone goes into a village and rapes children and then kills them, whether that's in Afghanistan or Iran or wherever it may be, um, that's pretty evil, particularly when they don't have any regret or remorse or whatever it may be. You know, so oftentimes it finds out that that's the appropriate term to use because that kind of encapsulates all of that ugliness, all of that devastation, all of that, whatever it may be. The interesting thing about it is we always try to blame something besides ourselves. And the good thing about our life as humans is God gave us free will, but we also have a choice. So we, unlike much of our broken judicial system now, we have an accountability to ourselves to say, well, man, I made that choice. You can't say, oh, well, something made me do it. You have a choice. You know, you know the difference between right or wrong. Now, there may be exceptions. There may be somebody that's raised a certain way. For example, I was, I know the mooch very well. And I know that if you grow up in a war, war-torn zone, and someone killed your uncle and your mom and your dad, and that's all you know is war, chances are that's all you're going to do the rest of your life is go out and kill everybody that killed your family. I totally get that. Until someone either enlightens you or says, well, there might be a different way or a better way of doing this. There's a thing we call diplomacy. Uh, There's a thing called leverage. Um, There's clandestine tradecraft that'll help you get from point A to point D to accomplish your whatever it may be. But if they never are introduced to that, um, yeah. And so can you blame them for growing up that way? Probably not, you know. And, and that's the issue of the first thing. We, we, don't wanna, we don't ever want to place blame <coughs> because none of us are perfect. You know, our hands aren't clean. We do the very best we can do with what we have at the moment. And oftentimes, you know, in our journey, we actually think we're doing the right thing. And sometimes much to what you were speaking about, um, sometimes those things are manipulated by other forces and some forces are good and then some are bad. And later you find out, you know, that maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, you know, but you can't know it at the time. It's impossible. You know, um, 
it's like when we look at history, look at the Vietnam War. You know, I remember my dad, eight special forces, <coughs> Green Beret, went to Vietnam, a couple tours. And when you left, he goes, I'm going over there to fight against the communists so it doesn't come here. And to a great degree, that was it. But he learned a lot over there, and a lot of people did, that that war was politically driven, and it had a, it was layered with a lot of other agendas that most of the soldiers never knew anything about. What I've come to learn from my clandestine service is that a lot of money has been made off the blood of patriots throughout the world. There is not one world that is not financed by a bank or multiple banks. And generally speaking, there are a lot of politicians and other global players that have their fingers in the pie and basically know that if they sound the trumpet, that good men and women will go to battle and never, ever, ever look back to say, wait a minute, why are we why are we fighting this one? Like we go, you and I, we go to battle to protect our buddies or to save the village of innocent people or to get the terrorists or whatever. <laughs> and that may be how it starts. But then there's always those monkeys in the background. They go, wait a minute. How much how much power can we get? How much oil can we get out of that country? How about that lithium, you know, largest lithium mines in the world and the diamonds? And I saw this in my time in the Congo when after Mobutu was put in power or I saw it when the Russians invaded, you know, Afghanistan the first time. And, and I saw it repeatedly over and over and over. And um, I think the only true and faithful and I'm going to be I'm going to be careful the way I say this, but it needs to be said. I think for Americans, the only satisfying, true and faithful war that will ever be fought will be on our own shores for us to protect the Constitution of the United States and our country. And that is the only time. I think there will always be doubt in the minds of soldiers, um, sailors, airmen, whatever it may be, when they go overseas to fight somebody else's war, because we keep seeing this un <coughs> unfold. This takes us into Ukraine. You know, look at Ukraine right now. Not trying to jump ship, but it, I learned this in the agency. It's never what people are saying. It's what they're not saying that matters. And so this whole thing that's happening in Ukraine, no one's talking about the dialogues that existed between Ukraine and Russia prior to all this happening. No one knows both sides of the story. We just jumped on board all of a sudden. And when you do that, you have to back off and go, you know, wait a minute. Putin may not be the bad guy here. I'm not saying he is or isn't. I'm saying you literally have to ask the question, what if he's not? You know, I, I worked in Ukraine for a while. And I have to tell you, a lot of money laundering, a lot of sex trafficking, yeah. a lot of drugs, a lot of corruption, um, and a lot of and a platform for a lot of global players to do a lot of really bad things. Not saying Russia is got clean hands, but when we look at all of this, and I, I resign bringing it is because I get calls every week from buddies going, can you get me in Ukraine? I want to get on the ground. It's like, why do you want to get on the ground? I missed the fight. Okay. Wait a minute. Do you really hate Russians? No, I don't really hate Russians, but I missed the fight. It's like, dude, you're just a mercenary. Okay. I understand why you want to get in there. I totally get that. But whose side is right and who's wrong? Now, when I had other buddies that would go in, I want to go into Ukraine because I want to rescue this orphanage. It's like, okay, we'll get you in, that kind of thing. <coughs> but <coughs> I think that 
we have to look at something that's very interesting. If we couldn't believe the mainstream media over the course of the last four or six years, right? Why would we even believe them now? No one's even answering that question for me. If, if CNN and CBS and NBC and all the mainstream media, with the exception of Fox, I have to agree, lie, cheated, stole about the whole Donald Trump era, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all starting to come out more and more in the, the dorm facts. trials. I mean, all the facts are coming out, right? If they lied or that whole thing, why would you want me to believe anything they have to say about Ukraine being good or bad or about Russia being good or bad? Why? It doesn't make no sense. But people are just kind of going with it, you know, and it's like, I think, you know, at the end of all of this, there's going to be a lot of stuff uncovered and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to go, well, we were wrong about this. You know, picking a fight with Russia is not a smart thing to do on any levels. Um, you know, look, I have great respect when I, I was in the Cold War. You know, Putin's reputation, Putin was not known to be scatterbrained or he was known to be very calculated. Okay. So I look at it all these years and, you know, there was even a time when Russia were our allies Mm -hmm. when we fought against the Germans and the Japanese and stuff. So (coughs) we have great respect with them, but I will tell you under this administration right now, we are not prepared to go up against the Russians. Not at all. You know, and we know that with nuclear warfare, the people go, well, what's the answer? Do we have hypersonic missiles? Do they have hypersonic missiles? Reality exists, and this, and people don't understand this. It was never about knocking their missiles out of the air or us knocking their missiles out of the air. It doesn't no, work. It doesn't work that way. It becomes total annihilation. It's like everybody gets hit, and then whoever's left after the smoke clears can basically say, wow, okay, we're still here. But people don't understand that. We will never have enough technology, another enough first strike capability to outperform um, our adversaries as we imagine we can. It's just not happening. I want to touch on that. Um, I'm going to do what I do with uh, every guest. I'm now throwing the burden on you. You got a monologue. Tell everybody where to find you. I have to use the restroom. I'll be right back. All right, go ahead. Yeah, you can find us on www.recoveryofchildren.com. Uh, or www.recoveryofchildren.org. And that's our nonprofit, 501c3. Um, I have a book out called Something Bigger Than Overthrowing, excuse me, Something Bigger Than Overthrowing Small Governments. If you go to bosbooks.com, uh, you'll see that. And actually, uh, about three or four of the books that I was able to uh, put out that I think you'll enjoy. So, anyway, with that in mind, thank you very much. I've never, never survived the podcast longer than an hour without using the restroom, and I will never apologize for that. Uh, never, no. So, so many things to touch on right there. So I will um, 
try to recover real quick. I was going to say General Smedley Butler. I'm sure you're aware of, right? 1933 wars a racket. Absolutely. Most decorated Marine of all time. Uh, Two great books about him. Plot to Seize the White House by Jules Archer and Gangsters of Capitalism by... And there's the concussion not coming in. Can't remember. I it's just right. finished that one, but it's it's him. It's him basically saying, you know, I I used to think that I used to suppose that I was a tool for like the banking elite, and now I'm sure. I'm not going to go into it all right now, but everybody I've done podcasts about the before wars Iraq. It go in. It's the original military industrial complex speech. Yeah, I mean, and then right was it a dude January seventeenth, nineteen sixty one? I think was. Was Eisenhower's military industrial complex speech? We know that one. That is a thing that you start to realize is that, I mean, I've had uh, Dale Comstock, you know, he was in Delta Force at 23, I think. At, at the time, he was the youngest ever. I don't know if that record still stands. Um, Green Beret, CIA Ground Branch. And I remember him saying, he was like, you do kind of have the creeping feeling towards the end of your career. You're like, was I just cannon fodder? Was I doing the bidding of evil men? Um, and that, there's still good things that are done you do rescue people but after a while you start to go well what else is going on here how come Halliburton's coming in why is KBR coming in what's Raytheon getting out of this yeah are we really giving javelin missiles out of the kindness of our heart (laughs) or do we now have a reason to start a production so to, to quote Smedley Butler I do believe he said there's I think he said there's only one war worth fighting or there are two things worth uh fighting and that is the bill, uh, protecting the Bill of Rights and protecting our shores. Yeah, I would agree 100. Yeah. percent You know, and it doesn't mean that we're necessarily isolationists, but sure. <clears throat> when all of a sudden people are not up front <clears throat> with patriots that go, and they there's a pretense of we're doing it for you know, it's a marketing ploy, so to speak. Um, after a while, I don't know if too many war fighters that aren't um, haven't come to the same conclusion to be honest with you. Now that doesn't make this interesting. Um, it doesn't make our country bad. No. It makes the leaders of our country bad. Um, and every country deals with that, particularly now with the so much global influence uh, and particularly now unashamedly, I say this with this administration that, you know, is in, in my opinion is actually treasonous uh, on so many fronts. It's a top-down um, controlled that, implosion of the Republic. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, it's interesting. I think, you know, so, you know, the influence of communism has been here since the fifties and sixties. <coughs> it's just changed this title to globalism, you know, or, and, um, and to the point that they're trying to get us in line with possibly a one world government, uh, which at one time I used to laugh at, because it was like, really? So, so Seriously? Oh, New it's World Order? Ridiculous. New World Order. And now, after years of clandestine service and taking meetings and going places, all of a sudden I go, holy moly, this is real. <laughs> this is real. They want to rule the world, and they're going to do it through their puppets, and they keep pushing and pushing and um, with the UN and other things like that. And so um, I think that at least right now, you know, the media um, influences the masses to make them believe that globalization is the right thing to do and that um, our leaders are, no, they know how to drive the ship. Um, and so we don't really get to hear the other side unless you hear from people like yourself or Fox News or whatever. But I will, I will say this with all confidence. 
if those who choose to instigate division in our country believe that it is clearing the pathway for globalization and for other people to land on our shores, they are sadly mistaken. They underestimate the resolve of the American patriot, the 50 million veterans that are here, and the mindset of people that love the Constitution, understand our history, even though it is not taught that often to students these days who have absolutely no idea where they came from in this country and have no idea where they're going. Um, besides all of that, they are going to have one heck of a fight on their hands and blood and blood will be shed. And, you know, they always when people say things like I say that I'm not saying anything that our forefathers didn't already say. <laughs> yeah, it's right. the same thing. But they try to paint a picture of you as like, oh, That's you're a radical cursed. conservative and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like if if what I speak mimics the voice of our forefathers, then call me what I shall be called. Yeah. And I am okay with that. But the one thing that is known to everyone in our country and around the world is that I do know different than those who founded this country. And that, and so on that, I'm ready to go to my grave on it, you know? <laughs> and it's people like us that they go, oh, you're dangerous. Well, guess what? George Washington was a good guy, but he was pretty dangerous in battle, you know? Thomas Hamlin, you know, you know, all Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin, even Benjamin Franklin, you know, all of those guys, they were not to be, you know, trifled with, you know, they were stern people. And they said, look, we don't need 13 colonies. We're going to do the right thing. And by God's divine providence, we're going to go forth and form a country. And we're going to be free men and women in this country, no longer under the rule of tyrants, you know, freedom of speech, Second Amendment rights, blah, blah. And the list goes on and on and on. Well, what we have now is we have an administration that's trying to liquidate our Constitution <coughs> or rewrite history. So people don't really they don't realize who shed their blood so that we could be free. And the interesting, the irony of it is because we live in a make believe world to some degree, people don't realize that those were real lives. Those yeah. are real people's bodies buried underneath the earth, all the way back to the 1600s, 1700s, that did what they did so that we hundreds of years later could reap the benefits of that. And we live in a society now where that's not the way people think. The average mom and dad doesn't think, I want to make life better for my son and daughter. No, the average mom and dad now is like, how can I get my kids out of my life so I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. Oh, yeah, I'll get them in tennis, soccer, this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> and then by the time they're 18, they're out of the house and good riddance. I can get back with my life. It's not the way it used to be. And for many of us in America, it's, it's not that way now. You know, I do what I do, whether saving kids or whatever, so that generations after me, can reap the benefits that I reaped because of my father and my grandparents and my ancestors that date all the way back to the American revolution in this country on my mom's side. So um, we get people thinking like that. Um, then we get good people that do what Comstock is doing, you know, running for Congress or whatever. I tell you, tell you, I got asked by a lobbying group in Washington to run for governor of Colorado. And they still pursue me 
with oh, that. They ask like every man. month is like, you are you should. sure you don't want to do it? <laughs> but on, that same thing, Tommy, you said, it's a nasty world out there, man. And I sit weekly and with my wife and I pray about it. And I go, you know, unless God says you will run for governor, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to pretend to do it. And, you know, it's funny is when you have people that come to you and they go, you go, well, I'm not a politician. They go, we don't want politicians. We want leaders. Well, I don't, I don't know how to raise money. Nope. We got people that can raise money. Well, I need a staff. We got a staff and they're basically giving it all to you. And what they're, what they're saying is like, look, we love this country and we want people that are going to stand on their convictions that are basically battle beaten and can care less what the world thinks about them as long as they do the right thing and uphold the constitution. Do it, so yeah, it. yeah, right. Tommy. Yeah. Let's see how Comstock feathers Com- his out first. Well, no, no. Uh, Kent's running for Congress. Comstock. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no. no. I'm, I'm trying to get Comstock too. Trust me. Mm-hmm. I've been trying, but I mean, it's like what Mike Durant says. I mean, unfortunately, Mr. Durant lost his Senate race for Alabama. I think just a week ago. But I remember him saying on this podcast, I was like, well, I was like, it's good that you're stepping up to be a politician. And it was like, it was like throwing holy water on a demon. He goes, I'm not a politician. And I was like, he goes in only the way Mike Durant can say, he goes, we're going to go up to DC and start kicking in some doors. But like, (coughs) the thing is, is no one wants to do it. Like you don't want to, you don't want to run it. It's understandable. It's a disgusting, sleazy, slimy, demonic pit of snakes. Oh, totally. However, and I remember, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of put words in his mouth, but I was like, I, the reason why I respect Joe Kent so much is, uh, you know, he's running for Congress. He's so used to seeing an enemy and just being able to shoot it in the face. But now oh. instead he has to put on a suit and shake hands. I, you know, getting in a medical school or, or bodybuilding in high school, so much easier than overcoming a brother's suicide because he had an enemy, he identified it, he saw its yeah. weak points, he looked at the field around you, better than him better than him better than him i can learn from him you go balls to the wall and you crush it and you get there and there's no one else but you it's meritocracy <clears throat> losing a brother there's no there's no one killed my brother i can't i can't go out of vendetta and find the killer i can't avenge my family you sit there i think it was terence mckenna or ram Dass or one of the philosophers 20th century philosopher said it part of enlightenment is realizing that all the loose ends don't get tied up. It's sitting with the messy openness of it all. And so when I look at guys who are running for uh, office now, military guys, a lot of them are going, it's so much easier when you can just laser tag a target and the JDAM hits it. That's the truth. But you almost have to look at it, right? There's Green Beret, or you can go Delta. Navy SEALs, or you can go DevGrew. You can do Tier 1, or you can go Special Activities Division experimental pilot where you can walk on the moon there are higher and higher levels of this intricate game the most intricate game is realizing hey we can't just dump a mag into this i gotta put on a suit cut my hair and get a staff this isn't as sexy as just going at you know three in the morning and icing the bad guys it's going to the moon it's the next level can you play that chess game listen i i i've always had my own political views but I started this podcast because I was like, I just want to have fun. I'm going to get rich. And now I'm, you know, I've interviewed, I don't know how many guys running for Congress, most notably Joe Kent and uh, Anthony Sabatini, Sabatini's former army running out of, uh, out of Florida. I had Mike Duran on here several times. I did my best to put them together with people. I've 
put together fundraisers for Joe Kent, for Anthony Sabatini. I've done my I've done my part and I'm continuing to do so. I don't want to do it. I hate being that guy. I hate doing the political podcast. I want to talk about aliens and UFOs and nuclear yeah. warfare. But like we talked about earlier, there is that voice sometimes. And it's uh, you're bringing it up about all those guys coming. You, oh, I don't know how to raise money. We'll get it done. I need a staff. You need a staff. It's uh, I had a guy in here the other day tell me one of his favorite stories. Right. And it's about the, the metaphor, analogy, parable, whatever. It's about yeah. the you know it's about the the warning of the flood, and the the cops come to the house and they go, hey man, there's going to be a flood, and he goes, it's okay, God will take care of me. Well, yeah, then the, yeah, the flood takes the first floor. They come back on a boat. <clears throat> hey man, got to come with us. God will take care of me. Finally, he's on the roof. The coast guard comes by at the helicopter. Goes, dude, you got to come with us. God will take care of me. Guy drowns. God, why didn't you take care of me? I came three times and you didn't. <laughs> so, you know, you're, yeah. you're saying you're praying, you're listening to God. Hey, you're. <laughs> Uh, everyone's coming to you. Hey, we'll, we'll provide a staff. We'll provide the money. You got you got me sitting here going, hey, I'm helping guys run. Well, my dilemma is not whether I could fight the battle or not. Sure. In fact, I would be vicious in the fight and Washington would hate me. I would be the most hated person and love being the most hated person up there, along with other people that I know, like Bobit and everybody else from Colorado are you know, she's her. doing an amazing job. Um, my my dilemma is, do I stop rescuing children? Do uh, I quit saving the lives of American children that one day could re- could be raised up to be good citizens? And that's my only dilemma. If I weren't doing this, okay. trust me, I would. I mean, I love a good fight and and I'm and I would be up there in a heartbeat, believe me being just like everybody else that's somewhat conservative and speaking my mind. In the meantime, if it comes to that where that choice is to be made, then perhaps perhaps that's all I win. I'm not cutting my hair. I'm not shaving my face. Don't. I don't if, need to. You if know? you did, I would disown you. I would delete yeah. this episode. I mean, come on. George Washington had a ponytail. I know. I got one. I I'm know. okay with it. Yeah, cool. who cares? Yeah. Who cares, right? Yeah. No, it's that is a very good point. You are doing you're already doing the work of God and you're doing something that transcends politics. Like it's, I always like my end goal for this podcast. And I've talked about it before is to make as much money as humanly possible, invest that money. And ultimately I'd like to build a medical school uh, specifically for mental health research, name it after my brother. My logic is this, as much as I love the United States, I want to do something that transcends politics and that a thousand years from now, you know, Joseph Lister, the antiseptic technique using chemicals to disinfect wounds so they didn't die from you know, sepsis. That yeah. guy was, I think, what, British or Scottish? Had nothing to do with Britain and Scotland. You and I, you ever received penicillin? You ever had a surgery and didn't die? You, you directly benefited from Joseph Lister. I want to do something for mental health so that in a thousand years, if China is the hegemon, but if there's still someone that doesn't have to experience losing a sibling to suicide, right. to me, I'm like that's a win. And so I'd be a hypocrite if I criticized you because you're doing something that is it's regardless of the flag. It's, it's the most vulnerable among us being preyed upon by the most evil. That's if there's ever been a dilemma that you, you have one. I have one. Look, if I could, if I could have just owned a, a tea company and just gone around the world with old CIA guys collecting exotic teas I'd be just as happy. And maybe one day God will allow me to do that as well. 
But, you know, I still have life in me. Only 65 now, still doing what everybody else is doing. I'm still going down range, so it's still pretty good. And I've got buddies that are, are like, you know, 20 years beyond me that are still going down range, which is great. Billy Wong? Oh, Billy and Ron <laughs> Franklin and, and Rick Prado. And I mean, the whole list of, you know, the whole life. Dutch, Waranga. I mean, all these guys that <laughs> were guys that came before me and set the example <clears throat> that as long as you have breath, someone calls upon you for help, you go, <clears throat> you go. And um, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's anything but deep down inside, always wanting to do the right thing, you know? And look, when you, when you look around and there's 10 people and nine of them won't do the right thing, but one will, that person stands out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting thing about heroes and, we, we kind of touch on the edge of that in our conversations, but everybody, you know, it's like the guy that dives into the icy pond to save the little girl and they go, Oh my gosh, the guy's a hero, you know? And they think for that one moment in time, you know, he, he grew to notoriety and, and something welled up inside of him. No, that's not what happens. That guy's been living the life of a hero every single day of his life and everything he did, he did it perfect. He, he was responsible. This is the guy that made his bed, did his dishes, helped people out along the way constantly. And then all of a sudden this moment came and he just did what's normal to him. Uh That's what it is. But the world doesn't see it that way. The world sees it as this, Oh my gosh, something inspired this guy to do this great thing. And when you look at that, there are a lot of people out there every day, they live the life of a hero in everything they do. You know, I learned this because actually I was sitting at dinner and my wife is the one that mentioned this to me. And I never looked at it that way. I always kind of looked at it like, you know, it just something wells up inside of you and you go do it. And then she looked at me you know, and said this. And I thought, wow, that's kind of how a lot of people have been living their lives. All the guys I know, the Billy Waz, the Lon Franklin's, uh, Rick Prados, and I mean, I could name them all, you know, the, you know, that are, that are out there. Those guys, as long as I knew them every day, they were responsible individuals, always doing the right thing, a hero to their families, to society, whatever it may be, they were always doing it. And then when it, they got called upon in a firefight or whatever it may be, it was just normal for them to do what they did. Yeah. 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 So. There are a lot of stories like that. Or I can never remember his name. The uh, the priest who died on 9-11 uh, running in to save firefighters and, and giving last rites. And uh, he was actually killed by uh, a jumper, someone who jumped out and obviously body hit him at terminal velocity, killed him. But there are stories all surrounding him of people are like, oh, that was just a Tuesday for him. Like that's what that guy did. You just never saw it because he was a pastor. He was, you know, right. he was spoon. He was ladling soup for the homeless. He was, you know, mm-hmm. you know, helping collect clothes from St. Vincent de Paul. He was, and then the big game comes and it's 210 story towers on fire to him. It was Tuesday. Yeah. And like, that's what you see is, I mean, it's like the, um, some basketball player has the quote. I forget who it is. He said, I became an overnight success in 10 years. <laughs> you just, you, you, you see the, you go, who's oh, that yeah. guy? Who's, he's just the best ever. Dude, he's been grinding for so long. And 
it's uh what what are the uh luck is when opportunity meets preparation yeah yeah right it's like it's yeah. like i i have a i have a i have like a safe and it's you you got to get the code right but the entire time you're also applying pressure it's when it's when the pressure just you get the right combination click oh he opened the safe no it was a long it was a matter of right. time before it yeah. worked and that's what it is and it's he, kind of heroes stepping up to man i'm still stuck on on and i know i've kept you for way longer than an hour okay. so, so we'll we'll I don't know, go ahead we'll wrap it up sometime but i was thinking about i'm stuck on your dilemma it kind of makes me think of you back to mogadishu you can't save the world and un- unfortunately that is like it's not all ideal you can't you know i think 10 american pow's died in hiroshima it's not it's never that clean cut. You'd have to almost like war game it. Cold War tabletop war game it. Look at the effect. Look at the effect you're having on saving these lives of, of children. And then looking at the outcome of you helping prevent the ongoing technocratic Marxist takeover of the United, United States, which is also the last bastion, the only bastion in the world. There's nowhere else to defect to. You can yeah. defect from the Soviet Union here. You can run from Poland to here. You can run from China to here. Ain't nowhere to run. I get, I don't know. That's that's a burden on your shoulders that I'm glad I don't have. I have my easy, clear cut. I'm like, I'm going to keep interviewing these guys, try to get the word out, have doctors on, talk about what's going on, and which is why I'm banned from YouTube. But do all this, I don't know. I mean, which... You, you almost have to do that cold calculating like Curtis LeMay strategic air command. Do you have a greater effect on society by continuing to rescue these, these abused children or is there a greater effect on preventing the collapse of the bulwark against a literal one world government? Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't know. know. I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. I think that, I think that I'm at a point where I just go day by day. Yeah. Literally, I take it day by day. Uh, I thank God for the breath I've got when I wake up in the morning. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I did the very best I could do within the time that was given to me for this day. Time to close my eyes and go rest, you know, not worry about things. And I I always tell people, you know, and in in this conversation, um, you know, we, we have it among I, a lot of people, and I keep my ears to the ground to find out what's the, what are people talking about in the ranks, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about things like, um, you know, one more government, collapse of America, whatever it may be. I tell people, I go, look, you don't have to, you don't have to go look for civil war. When if it happens, it'll end up on your doorstep, and you will do what you have to do in order to survive. And if that is done with a patriotic heart, realizing that every little effort around America counts for something, then collectively the Constitution will be safe. Um, you know, I, I think we watch a lot of movies and we think that a nation can be taken over within days or whatever it may be. I mean, the borders can be invaded. No lie about it. Look at Ukraine. We see sure. that. But the globalists are going after the minds of the generations below us, the younger ones, trying to tell them, you know, cut out history. They don't need to know. It's like when we had this whole thing happen with uh, 
Antifa and BLM where all the statues were being broken and taken down and that's just what, a bunch of garbage. I mean, that, I, ISIS that's did. right. Out, yeah, that's right out of the CIA. That's right out of the playbook. You know, it's like this. It's like, look, if you don't know your history, it may have not been pretty. Nobody's history is pretty. But if you don't have reminders of what you went through, you'll repeat it again. So when they start taking down all the Confederate statues, it's like, wait a minute, pay attention to those things. Study the history. What was taking place in this fight against the states? You need a reminder. Otherwise, it'll be a blank. Stalin did the same thing. When he took over after Nicholas, they tore down all the statues, burned all the books, closed up all the churches. And the generations that came after that had no idea about their illustrious mother Russia history under Nicholas. So they were just told they were communists and socialists. And so they accepted it because they knew nothing else. They didn't know what freedom was. Well, that's what's been taking place in America now. And if you don't know the history of the country, if you're not reminded when you walk down the street about somebody, it doesn't even matter if it's like slavery issues, okay? Look, everybody, almost everybody has been a slave. The Jews were slaves to the Egyptians. There are white Americans that were slaves to the Middle Easterners. Dirty Irish pigs. (laughs) The first white slaves in America were Irish children. Then there were black slaves from Africa that were sold into slavery by tribal kings and rulers out of Africa. And everybody had their hand in something that was popular at the time. Was it right? No, it wasn't right on anybody's front. But everybody suffered on one level or another. And this is why I, (coughs) when I see all this (coughs) globalist hodgepodge about racism and, 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 and victimization and all this kind of stuff and reparations, I tell my friends, I go, let me explain something to you. For we who have been downrange, we see no color. When our buddies bleed out, we all bleed red. That's it. It doesn't matter if you're, and, and I tell them, I go, look, you're not an African-American and you're not an Asian American, and you're not an Irish American. You haven't even been to Ireland. Most of you <laughs> haven't even been to Africa. I like. I lived in Africa. Okay. I mean, I have African friends there. I mean, I lived there for years. You haven't even been there. So guess what you are? American. You're an American. That's what you are. Okay. Now you might be black. You might be white. You might be purple. You might be green. But then you're a purple, black, white, and green American. American. But that's it. And if we'll get, if we'll get to the point where we realize we're Americans, then the constitution provides Americans with rights. (coughs) But when you try to diversify or divide, it's like going on the, it's going like going to summer camp for the 49ers and going, Oh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys 49er guy. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're either 49er or you're a Dallas Cowboy. What what are you, what are you doing out here? You know, I'm Brady plays for the bucks now. Yeah. Not a patriot anymore. To my dismay, he's not a patriot anymore. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, um, so a lot of this comes from, and I, I think I'm, I think I can stand on this and say this with, with a lot of experience. It's a lot of it's stupidity. A lot of it's uneducation. A lot of it's people trying to stir waters. A lot of it's from people that want a free ride. I don't care who they are. They played the victim. And a lot of it's because the government wants to pay out just like they do on welfare, because once you pay out from the government and you take from the government, the government owns you. You have no freedom. 
You have no rights. They are your taskmaster. And 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 I people will go, well, are you prejudiced? It's like, yes, I am. I'm prejudiced against lazy people. Yeah. That's what I'm prejudiced against. I don't, I could care less what color you are. I didn't grow up that way in the military. I didn't grow up that way. You know, I, I come from a, a mixed family myself, you know, of all kinds of stuff. But yes, if you don't want to pull your own weight in this country, if you're looking for a handout <laughs> and you're looking for somebody to allow you to remain a victim, I, I, I'll never forget this. I was, <clears throat> I was at a rally. I was supposed to speak and the American communist union, I think it was, stirred up Antifa and BLM and a bunch of other people. And I had a guy there, um, Julian, and I hope he's listening to this. He had already been, he was being paid by Black Lives Matter um, to basically start rallies and stir things up. Former Air Force guy, actually, according to him. At the second rally that I saw him at where he was doing the same thing, he and I recognized each other and I went up to him I said, Julian, so I said, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, you ever pick cotton? And he looks at me and goes, what? I said, did you ever pick cotton? He goes, no. I said, and I never owned a slave. What is the problem here? And he just got dead silent. I said, you need to take a look at what you're pushing and what you're involved in here. I said, because most people, I said, don't believe in it. They never were part of it. I said, and a lot of people, that were not black Americans died in the civil war so that we no longer had to deal with this issue of slavery. And I said, and so that debt was paid. Now, can you legislate morality? No. And are there going to be weird and stupid people around the world? You can set whatever law you want to say, well, you can't say this about people and people are still going to say it. You can tell people that they can't be prejudiced. What are you going to do? Throw them in jail because they are? No, I've got people that are prejudiced against me. I'm sure. Go to a third world country and see how you get treated. Go in some kind of, some go to go to Detroit. Walk, walk with me down in Detroit, down in a Muslim part of town, and watch how I get treated. The difference is I don't care. I'm an American, and I'm not going to let it bother me because I can stand on the Constitution. I can stand on my rights here in this country. And if I embrace that, if I get a hold of that, there's not one single person in this country that can stand against me. The problem is people that become victims lose their right and they don't even take hold of what was already given to them in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. They don't use it and stand on going, I'm an American. That's what I am. No, they go off in the Southern towns like, well, I'm an Asian American and you hate Asians. So we need a new bill to protect Asian Americans. Dude, just be an American. Get the Constitution. It holds it holds up in court, you know, so it's crazy. But it's all designed to distract people. And that's why we don't teach constitutional law. It's why we don't teach the history of the country. It's why we don't teach. We're always looking for something to go, well, you did this to me or you did that to me. Hey, are you going to tell you something, Spanky? Guess what? As long as you're on this earth, people are going to do things to you. I don't care who you are. They're not going to like you. Some will like you, whatever it may be. A lot of people will give you a fighting chance. A lot of people won't give you a fighting chance. Look, <clears throat> my grandfather came to this country in 1914 under some of the worst conditions that I could that you can even imagine. And he was, talk about 
He didn't speak English. People treated him bad, whatever it was. But you know what? By God's good grace, for whatever it was, his path, I'm glad he came to America. Because if he had to come to America, I wouldn't be here. So I could look at it and try to look at it from a victim standpoint and go, well, people did this to my grandfather. People did that to my grandfather, whatever. Or I could look at the divine intervention and go, wait a minute. Somehow, God got my grandfather from Beirut, Lebanon to America, a country that had freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the Constitution, whatever it may. And I got to be born into one of the greatest countries in the entire world, you know, throughout history. And grab a hold of that and take that gift that was given to me and stand on it and be a good American, you know, but... There's so much other stuff going on and people don't want to look at it. And it always comes from people not understanding, obviously, where they come from and what this country, how this country was founded. I was, I was reading, uh, I, I found like a, like a memo. Someone posted a picture of a memo. It was on stationery. It was from Dwight, Eyes, Dwight Eisenhower the day before uh, D-Day. And it's him basically saying like, you know, this is like this is a momentous time. Like your enemy is well equipped, well trained. They will fight viciously, but like you have the heart of America behind you. And but there's one part about it. And it sounds simple, but you know that weird kind of like first week of the new year when you start seeing the new last date, the new 2022. It's always that yeah. kind of weird. You're like, oh yeah, we're in this. And you, it's 2022 now, and you kind of you go, oh yeah, this is like a weird kind of. There's something in the in the little letter, like a three paragraph letter from Eisenhower, and it goes. We are not in 41 and 42 anymore. Today, this is the year of 44. Like there are new beginning, and there's something about it that just struck. I was reading it last night. It just struck so at not not pictures of D-Day, not 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 you know graphic images, not Saving Private Ryan. It was just this black and white memo of like this is the year 1944. Like there is newness here. Yeah, which more than anything, it really was like a weird kind of almost like psychedelic experience more than anything that made it more real to me this isn't just a black and white thing you learn in the books and your grandpa was there and you know make sure to take a moment of silence on the day it's not just uh, the the rows of 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 gravestones or headstones in arlington that made it more relatable to me than anything because it sounded just like something you'd see on instagram it's 2022 guys it's the and that just that just it just hit me like a ton of bricks where I was like, Oh, those were actual 18 year olds. Those were actual 31 year olds scared out of their fucking mind. Yeah. That was real. Yeah. Don't let it be in vain. And I look at, you know, I've had people tell me before they're like, Tom, you know, it's respectable of what you want to do with mental health, but they're like, you don't also don't, you're not obliged to do it. Like it's okay to just live your life. And I'm part of me is like, sure. But I look at the pain of losing a sibling of seeing me and my two remaining brothers get through it. The indescribable agony that my parents still bear. Yeah. And I look at that and I go, I refuse to let that be in vain. If I'm going to be in pain, I'm going to go to the gym and make sure I'm at least getting some muscle from it. Right. Don't just hit me in the shin. I'm going to go do some bench press. I may may still be in pain, but Hey, at least I got some pecs. Now I look at it and I'm like, I refuse to let that be. (laughs) 
because to me that is that is so much worse than it just being a suicide is it being a suicide and going huh and standing in the road and going why'd that car hit us i don't know okay it sucks so seeing that it's 1944 that just really just i mean it really just like like a mike tyson haymaker it just hit me and i was like that was real there are sure it was different there was big bands on the radio then there's you know cars are made out of nine tons of chrome and it was the 40s but so many people wept in their living room no different than my family did right that was real it's not just in the history books it was real and it was to not to not to perpetuate an empire for the glory of the emperor it was to have the freedom to live in a place where you can openly disagree with the government. You can get on a podcast and go, they suck. I hate them. And the Gestapo doesn't kick down your door and put a bullet in your head. Best case scenario. Worst case, they put you in a work camp. And that's how I look at it is like, I can't, it can't be in vain. Like I refuse I refuse for it to be in vain and to kind of bring it full circle. You lose any hesitation. And so I don't, you know, I'm not calling for violence. Shout out FBI. You lose any hesitation to fight for your country and to fight for what you know is right. When you come to peace with and become aware of, that this world is temporary. You're here for right. a little bit. This is this is recess. This is a football game. Mm. There are the boundaries. It's the hundred yards. You got four sides, two two four two sides, two ends. You got a time. You got rules. You got flags. It ends. You leave the stadium, and there's more. When you come to peace with, we're in this little sandbox called Earth don't know why you lose any hesitation to do the right thing it's when you think this is all there is well i don't want to stand up i don't want to be the one that sticks out i'm just going to go along to get along i'm not jewish i'm not getting put in a train car whatever you lose that hesitation and you go no 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 i have to do the right thing i have to do the right thing and i've been saying this a lot and i truly believe this at first I thought it sucks that we're kind of facing a, you know, like a one world government and a global communist takeover, you know, can't just say that out there. That sucks, but okay, I guess we have to do something. Now I don't think it's an accident at all. I'm starting to think that I die and I go to heaven and I go, God, I mean, Klaus Schwab was there with the world economic forum and they're trying to like, yeah. you know, they're trying to normalize kids tipping male strippers. Like that was a crazy fight, and I think God looks at you and goes, "No shit, that was the point." You know, yeah. you don't you don't go through special forces training and go, "They were really mean to us." <laughs> that was the point. Was the point. What, exactly. what, what was the point to harden you? Right. I, so I don't know what's next. Is there another battlefield after this? Do we become some other dimension? You know, do we become an angel or a demon? I don't know, but I don't think that it's all just going to shit by accident. No, I, think, I don't think it is. I either. think we're here 
for this. I don't think it was ever going to be anything other than this. Yeah, for such a time as this, we were created. And I believe this is a training ground. We, you know, many of us have, uh, we have these conversations now, especially after we've been downrange and we've done a lot of stuff. (laughs) And literally guys will sit around going, I think this was for something else. I think this is for after we leave this circle. I mean, seriously, I've got guys I've had conversations with. uh, I hope God lets me be the front first guy on the front line to, to lead the attack. They all believe that their training is to serve something here on earth and after. Yes. Um, you know, they, they're not the kind of guys that go, well, I'm retired now. Not, not one that I've ever spoken to. Not one. They are, they are willing and ready to be involved in all kinds of things. Um, and what's the, what's interesting is that um, for people to hear this conversation, they try to globalists or whoever we want to call them, they try to change the narrative. They try to make this sound as if we are wacky that, you know, that because we believe in the constitution, because we believe in doing what's right. And I go back to what I said earlier. If we be, if we be that crazy, then our forefathers, George Washington and all those guys were crazy. Yeah. You know, so we're not saying anything that it wasn't already said. I will tell you this, what's interesting and, um, guidance, uh, Tommy, honor your brother with the way you live your life. Um, I, I can't relate to losing a family member. I did lose a good buddy here to suicide just six months ago. Jeez. I can't explain it. I would have never expected it. I do, you know, and I don't have an answer to it, but every time, and even to this day, I'll be sitting with my wife or something. We'll be driving and I'll just like, I don't know where go. We'll just start talking about it. I'll go, mm-hmm. I still don't get it. I mean, I don't, it's, it's mind boggling. And um, so I honor him with the way I live my life. And I know what he was. He, he loved the country. He was a great patriot. He was a great law enforcement officer. Um, he was just an all around really great guy when he was around me and my eye and to in my eyes. And uh, so when I think about those people, or I think about other people that I've lost, in my life and and the, probably the thousands millions that I don't even know from World War one World War two you know Memorial Day I, I make it a habit to just I just go and walk in the national cemeteries mm-hmm. that's what I do I just look at the headstones I walk I, I talk amongst the dead so to speak you know and and I kind of wonder wow if I could know your story where were you when this happened what happened you know and it's one thing you go to war and you come back and you die old age. But what about on the battlefield? Yeah. You know, in the, in the way they fought wars where, you know, like D-Day. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you were talking about, you know, you're 16, 17 year old and you're getting out of a landing craft and mm-hmm. you're hitting the beach and it's like right in your face. It's like, and talk about bravery. And I don't care, you know, people go, well, they might've been scared. So what? They still charged. They might've been scared, but they were there and you weren't there. And so, and, and the interesting thing, and if I ever generally get a little frustrated with society, it's always on this point. They mock the flag. They mock the country. They pay no attention to the freedom. And basically they spit on the graves of people that secured that freedom for, for them. And they were not there. They were not brave enough to go front, confront the enemy. 
you know, none of them were, but yet they want to hang around in the country and burn buildings down and create riots and disturbances in the country. And none of them realized that their freedom was secured by other people's blood. And I think if there's one thing that always gets me, it's like, you idiots, you are, you, you know, that's the one, that's the one time when you just like want to go, you know what, you guys all need to go away because you're just a bunch of, you Un- know, just a bunch of ungrateful dipshits. Ungrateful. Yeah. You know, I can't even think of the words to call them and everything. So, and um, you know, it's funny. I always love these things that you see like Fox news will do them. Well, they'll go out on the street and they'll go, you know, to like the average college student and they'll say, so can you tell me who the first president of the United States was? And they'll go, um, uh, Mick Jagger, uh, you know, or, you know, they, it's like, oh, do yeah. you know who, you know who George Washington was? No, I don't know who that was. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, that's an easy one. You don't know who George Washington was, you know, or when was the country founded? Uh, I don't know, like, 1980. I don't know, like 1980 or something. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. And that, <coughs> that Tommy is by design. Yeah. That is not, that is by design. We saw, we saw Stalin do the same thing. We saw the right, the communists do the same thing. We saw them defund the police. We saw this all before the Bolshevik revolution, just like it's mapped out. It's blueprinted. It's like, you know, hit the education system first, get people in that situation where they don't know and then break the economy. So that people depend on the government to feed them or regulate their gas prices or all the stuff that we're seeing happen now is right out of the playbook. And now there are people who go, well, you're just a cold warrior. You know, you're just, you're just this conspiracy. It's like, no, no, this isn't a conspiracy. <laughs> we look, we, this is the playbook, you know, and it's repeating itself. Look, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, chances are it's a duck, you know, and you, you racist spoken like a true Nazi. <laughs> exactly. So, Anyway, it's um, I hope and pray. And I know I'm starting to see more of it. I'm starting to see some generations that are coming out of high school and some coming out of college, which are actually their attitude is actually reversed. You know, they actually are becoming good patriots. They're actually studying history and they're saying, wait a minute, why was this not in my history book? And they're actually challenging professors, liberal professors on campus. We just don't get media coverage over it. And they're actually saying, wait a minute, you're wrong. Or they'll find out there's a liberal professor who's part of the uh, American Communist Party and they'll go, and what do you advocate? You advocate the overthrow of the U.S. government as it now stands or whatever. You know, and that's a that's a gray area, of course, because question is, what is the U.S. government? I always go, I always tell people this. And of course, bureaucrats hate this. I did did a speech in Albuquerque, New Mexico a couple of weeks ago, and I hit this right on the head and I'm and I pissed a few people off. But look, I love this country, but I despise bureaucracy. Mm. And it is not the government that controls this country. It is we, the people. That's it. And our forefathers were smart enough to know that if we can abide by we, the people, that those people in Washington work for us. We forget about that sometimes, you know, when like Joe Biden lets millions of people come across the border and gives them free medical. It's not free medical. We pay for it out of our taxes. Did he ask us if he could 
tax us on that stuff? Did he ask us if he could go in our bank accounts and take the money away from us getting our children to college? No, they just do it and they do it in secret. Now, how do I know this? Because I had the first ARC teams on the ground in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when the night flights were landing at 2 a.m. in the morning and unloading illegal immigrant children onto buses. We were the first guys to report that to ICE and the first guys to report that to the media. And we saw it with our own eyes. We watched children get bussed away and not no paperwork exchange, no nothing, just driven, driven away and then disembarked off of buses to just different cars all over the place. No reunification center, nothing. And then finally, the media got a hold of it and they started questioning, you know, like the governor of Tennessee is like to the Biden administration. It's like, how come you're doing this in our state? We didn't we didn't authorize this. You didn't know about this. And basically, the administration is blowing them off and in flights landing in Florida and in Pennsylvania doing the same thing illegally, illegally. And the question is, who will be held accountable for that? And I, I don't have the answer to that, but it's wrong. It's all wrong. So that wasn't done because the American people said yes, but we're going to pay for it over the course of the next five years because of, well, because of a number of things and the cartel involvement and whatever it may be. I am convinced as a former clandestine operator with my ears to the ground and my own network of intelligence in the anti-trafficking world now that there are strong ties from the cartel to people in Washington, D.C. And thousand percent. Absolutely. You know, and and we we know that there are other people that know that same thing. And what what is disappointing, and I see this all the time, is when we call our associates and certain three letter agencies and those people literally say we've been told to stand down. You you know, it's, it's just frustrating. A crime is being committed and we're told to stand. I remember I remember friends and ice talking to them and when when they first came in when when Biden first came in I remember even when Obama was in where they were said we just got a call from Washington and they said let these 40 illegal aliens go and I said what do you mean like let them take them back to the border he goes no just let them walk out now onto the streets of America I was like what and these were the guidance and the directions and you ask people why they compromise, and most of the time it's the same answer from people that work in government. And I worked in government, I, I know. <laughs> they all say, well, I got two kids in school. I need a paycheck. Oh, um, my boss is a, a GS-15, and he gave me a direct order. And I all say, but, but it's wrong. And they go, yeah, but my hands are tied. So I think that I think in the future, as the country becomes more disruptive, I think a lot of people in three-letter agencies are going to be sitting back going, wow, you know what? I'm probably to blame for this because I didn't do the right thing. I didn't say no or whatever it may be. That's bureaucracy for you, you know? There's evil exists because good men do nothing in it. Exactly. Makes me think of what Dr. Keith Rose said. I've had him on here once before. He was a former Green Beret CIA paramilitary officer. Guys, a running theme that I like to have those guys on because they're all badasses. Um, blown up by an IED, came back, became a doctor, does like facial reconstructive surgery. Total, just Superman. And uh, but I remember him telling me, you know, he was like, I applaud what you're doing with the podcast. You know, getting the answers out there, getting the truth out there, doing what you can. 
with what you have. And I was like, yeah, you know, kind of bringing up a sacrifice. And I was like, this is just, my logic is always this. What I do is so much easier than D-Day. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so blessed that my fight is sitting in a leather chair in an air conditioned room and doing podcasts. And I, and, but he said something that always stuck with me and it's just remember not all sacrifice is immediately transactional. A lot of guys go and fight the war, come home, war heroes, ticker tape parade, and they, you know, they grow to become the old grandpa with the war stories. Right. A lot of guys, the landing ship opened and they may be registered in the distance of flash. Mm -hmm. And it was a bullet going through their head. Right. They didn't see the end of the war. It's always kind of a, a message with my head to think about how many people in the World Trade Center never heard of Bin Laden and never would. It's weird because we know what happens, but there are so many there are so many people that didn't even know a plane hit. They were just stuck in the upper floors. Right. Not all sacrifice is immediately transactional. And he said not immediately because he's he's a, a big a big strong faith in God and all sacrifice in the end you, you will be judged for it. But it's not all immediately transactional and that's you got to chew on that sometimes and you go, they might just, they might just kill me. I don't know if I get to God willing, I get the Joe Rogan size. They, they, they'll knock off journalists. They don't care. I mean, I've had on Dr. McCullough, Dr. Malone. Love those guys. Yeah. I absolutely love them. I got Dr. McCullough invited me to go meet Alex Jones with him on new year's Eve. It was the coolest experience ever. And uh, I remember picking him up from the airport and uh, he was like, yeah, Tommy, he's like, He's like, I know for a fact that like Pfizer knows my location at all times. He's like, they're probably tracking this car. And I was like, well, it's with my older brother. And I was like, I looked at him because he, he lives in Texas. I go, sorry, man, your car's tracking. She goes, ah. he goes, God damn it. And, uh, but like, but I mean, he even he said, he's like, it's not all like they're very aware. It's not all. And Dr. Malone says it. He's like, I'm, you know, he's out there calling out every day, the World Economic Forum. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no yeah. idea. It's not all we're going to win. Your car might just swerve into a tree one day, but it all does come back to when you get right with God. It's whatever. Well, I will tell you this. It's interesting. And I know we're getting close to the end here, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, give fair warning. You know, I was like this there and I think it's the honorable thing to do to give fair warning to those out there that would do evil deeds on every, whether it's bumping people off because of pharmaceutical stuff like Dr. Mercola, or whether it's a government that thinks that they give fair warning that there are groups of people and there are very highly qualified people that love this country that you cannot stop. They can hunt you down, they can find you, and they will make sure that your life is a living hell. Should you cross the line and hurt innocent people. I don't know who they all are. I just know that within the ranks of the tier one operators, the special operations community, the Americans, the veterans, the patriots, these people are extremely skilled at doing the right thing sometimes. And these are the people that even when I'm uh, teaching at the uh, a facility at the FBI, these are conversations that I have with FBI agents that and the FBI is going through its own stuff too. 
I mean, even within the ranks of the FBI, they can't even, they don't seem to be able to trust each other. You know, the conversations within the ranks are like, man, what happened to this organization? You know, we've become politicized and we're not even doing what agents were supposed to do. But even those guys will, will confess that they are not big enough, they are not powerful enough, and they are not seasoned enough to actually handles other types of groups of people. And this is why they this is why they always are are watching like former tier one operators. They're watching former military. This is why this is why Pelosi is saying veterans shouldn't have guns. You know, they're mentally unstable. They what they're really saying is these are people that we fear. And they have a right to fear those people because those are the people that you cannot see coming. Those are the people that you will never be able to stop. And those are the people that are and have been the tip of the spear. And so when I say fair warning to those that do evil, they need to, they need to heed those words because there may come a time in this nation. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not provoking violence yep. either. I'm just saying based on my experience and what I keep seeing, the escalation within the nation there may come a time within a broken judicial system where history repeats itself and those type of people actually go after evil people. And when they do, you know, they won't be, you won't be able to stop them. You God know, bless. now what? now the reason the evil, arrogant elite or whoever they are, they have so much money and so much power in society that they believe they're untouchable. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. There's nobody untouchable. Nobody. And whether I live on this earth or not, that will still remain in this country, that there will be people that can reach out and touch you. And if they get tired enough of the shenanigans and they decide that they're going to do something about it, they will go forth and they will bring hell with them. And um, and and we've I've seen it in every I've seen it in every other nation out there. Mm-hmm. I've seen it take place over years of my career where, you know, we would train up people that were really good at what they did, a tier one group, right? Mobutu, the same story. When the Congolese, when the Congo fell, the very people that we trained that had special skills are the ones that went after Mobutu and he couldn't stop them. You know, he had to leave and <laughs> went to France and lived his years out there until he died of cancer, I believe. But in our own country, um, that I think that sometimes there's a voice, which is what you provide. You provide a voice. So the voice has spoken and said to those evildoers out there in our nation, you need to beware. You're treading, you're treading in a minefield and you have no idea. You know, just because it hasn't happened yet, you have no idea what can take place. I do kind of look at it as like, like the archangels the fact that like just starting this podcast by myself with literally on a laptop and just googling people how in two years i've become friends with so many like tier one and former ground branch operators they've all just become like like best friends like text them all the time it's almost kind of like that god how come you're not protecting me like sometimes i'm like i'm like who the fuck else (laughs) at 31 is just friends with like the shadows that are sent out to snuff people 
I kind of look at him like, God, how come you're not protecting me? And it's like, what do you mean? Well, well, I will tell you, Tommy, it's interesting. Violence is never a good thing. No. War is never a good thing. It's ugly. No, no, no. I'm um, not, and I'm not trying yeah. to make light. Of no, no, no. I know you're not. I know you're not. For, I'm talking about for whoever's listening ah. to us. Um, it's never a good thing. Um, and we should never advocate that. I think that as long as things can be settled diplomatically, um, and as long as we can fix things that are broken, um, it's, it's a good way to start. It's when it gets beyond all the brokenness and things can't be fixed and it starts falling apart. All the mayhem and stuff is when all of a sudden people decide like, well, you're not doing anything about it. It's kind of, you know, it's analogous to the old neighborhood watch thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you just defunded the police. Now, instead of 20 officers, you have two officers in town. You've got gangs going in a neighborhood and all of a sudden the people in the neighborhood go, you know what? We're not going to stand for this anymore. So what do you see them doing? Create their they block own. their neighborhood off. They get their guns and they say, don't come here. Yeah. And they, and they stay safe. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you can scream at them all day long. You can say you shouldn't do that. It's the same thing with the, the current gun issue that we're dealing with right now. You know, the Democrats jump on that all the time. You know what? If you arm good Americans, then they can defend themselves. You're never going to have enough police on the spot to do what an, a civilian can do. We know that. And then it doesn't matter, you know, why take guns away from good, honest citizens? And you like, and let's look at the laws that are there. There are already laws that say criminals can't have guns and criminals still have guns. Oh my gosh, how did that are happen? Are you telling me the criminals are doing crimes? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I worked the gray arms market for years and this is what they never talk about in Congress. If you understand the mechanism of the black arms and gray arms market, right? You'll understand that you can't control it. If they were going to control it, then how come the government hasn't been able to do it so far? You can't stop it. If they'd be able to control drugs and the import of drugs, then how come they haven't stopped it? You know, on and on and on. Guns don't kill people. People with guns kill people. And if they don't have guns, guess what? They'll use bombs. They'll do what they did for the 99% of human history where they didn't have guns. <laughs> That's right. You know, they'll use knives. They'll, and so the, the thing we're not addressing, and I never hear anybody in Congress talk about this. When we talk about mental health, how about address all the video kill games that influence our kids where they're desensitized to life? How about all the movies that we talk where people blatantly go out and murder or all the scary horror pictures or all the things that mentally affect people to go out and do why they do that. The, the, it's not the gun that does it. It's the person. And the question is what makes that person want to kill another person? If we answer that question, you know, and we go after that, you won't have what we, we have now. You're going to always have homicides, but we're not going to have the issue we have right now. And as far as protecting ourselves, I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of us are armed and we're armed because the world is crazy and it's wacky. And when a shooter comes in, we're taking him out. Yeah. That's it. You know, if he's coming into a daycare center or he's coming into a church or he's coming in to hurt my family, you know what, we're going to do what we were trained to do. We're going to stop it in its tracks right there. We're not going to call 911. We might call 911 after we've taken the first shots and there's a, the guy's down. Yeah, then we will. But we're not going to wait around. I, this, um, you know, not to bring this up, but 
you know, one of the things, and I'm still waiting to get the intel on it, um, the whole Uvalde shooting, mm-hmm. you know, kudos to that mom that went in and got her yeah. kids out, you know, talk about a hero. Now she did, if she did that and I'm not passing judgment, I wasn't there. I don't know how, how it all unfolded, but you know what? Here's a mom, an American mom who said, I'm going to take action. I'm going to do something about it. And you know what? I'd like to think that if she were armed and she ended up coming face to face with that shooter, she'd have probably taken him out too. She went in there to save her kids and she did it. And now you got people criticizing her going, well, you weren't supposed to do that. You crossed the line. It's like, no, guess what? Her children are safe. She obviously she must have done the right thing because her children are alive and she's got to live with that the rest of her life. And guess what? That lady's going to sleep at night. She's going to sleep at night because she did the right thing. So, you know, when they try to like dissolve our second amendment rights, I don't know how we got on that. You know, Biden said something the other day, which was really funny. He goes, well, in those days, they, people couldn't buy a cannon. Yeah, Study could. your history. Yes, you could. I mean, that, that hardware was all over the place. The, the, the Second Amendment was written when people had muskets and the government had muskets. And the government had muskets. So the playing field was even. That's yeah, pe- right. People are like, well, Tommy, does that mean that you think everyone should have M1? I think we should have access to everything. Like, I'm right the playing field. You. you want peace? Hey, you know what's peace? Peace is not when we had the A-bomb. Peace was in 1949 when the Russians got the A-bomb. And all of a sudden right. we realized, oh, there's a gun cocked our head too. That's exactly right. Yeah. So same thing Peace. here. You know what? You know, if you want to, if you want to rest on, on the second amendment, that's right. Even the playing field, that's what it was really talking about. Yeah. How do we even the playing field out? If a government, a bureaucracy becomes tyrannical, that's what it, and guess what? We're seeing it happen right now. We've seen it happen and they predicted and then they knew it could happen. And anybody that says they can't, they're fools. They're fools or they want to they want to take over in some way. So it very much evens the playing field out. You know, I wouldn't doubt it one day. This is one. And here's another thing. This is one of the reasons why the government dropped the standards in the military. I'm convinced of this also, you know, like ranger school or whatever. I I don't have anything against women going to ranger school. You know, I I don't have any problem with that one. I, I think women should be more women now and stand up for their rights than they should before and get through all this like this gender stuff that's just like making women look like fools it's like where are all the women where's the national organization of women now for women's rights when all of a sudden women can't have their own bathroom but they get to share it with a guy with a penis who claims he's a woman and he's going to go in and rape somebody i mean where's their voice now kind of thing and so but when they started lowering the standards um, in our military, they started weakening in our weakening in our military forces, and I believe that's by design as well. Because you weaken your military forces, then guess what? The military forces are no longer a potential threat against a tyrannical government who chooses to direct them, lead them like sheep, or overthrow the people. To be honest with you, um, this is one of the reasons why this this administration, and I know this for a fact because I've had closed door sessions with people. This administration is deathly afraid of SOCOM, special operations, dev group, all of that, because they know that most of those operators haven't been brainwashed. 
they're, they can't they're be. hardcore. That, they're that hardcore weeded patri- out. Yeah, they're hardcore patriots. And you're right, it's weeded out early on in the ranks, you know. Um, I think General Boykin probably has a lot of things to say about that, as do <coughs> a number of other people. But this is why the conversations on the Hill uh, are like that. And this is also why they have certain three-letter agencies keeping an eye on SOCOM, Dev Group, MARSOC, whatever it may be. And particularly those individuals when they leave there and they come back home as civilians. I, I know, I know for a fact that the FBI watches my podcast. I know that for a fact. Do they like it? I don't know. I tried to get them on. <laughs> I've had on some FBI Ed Morales. I had him on the the 1986 Miami shootout guy. He's an FBI. Yeah. Like, he came on and he was like, "Oh, the FBI is shit now." So I don't know. I've had on there here, and but I know yeah. for a fact they because I've interviewed so many tier one operators. I, I know for a fact they do, which is people laugh, but that's why I'm always like full disclosure, not calling for violence. Yeah, I'm not, but no. Yeah. They, yeah, so you, because that shit's weeded out, you don't get to the point where you can be brainwashed and they know, they know that that was a coup in 2020. They know that was a stolen election. They know, of course they, they do. They know what they're doing. Inflation's yeah. by design. The rape of the borders is by design. Vaccine yes. mandates is by design. Yeah. Allowing China to come in and dominate the energy markets by design. Suspending oil leases is by design. Disrupting the supply chain. It's by design. That's they exactly know what right. they're doing. And whereas they can pull the wool over most people's eyes, <clears throat> the most lethal know exactly what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd be, I'd be terrified too. Yeah, it's the, and it's not a conspiracy either. It is exactly what it is. It is what's taking place, you know. And um, and we need to wake up. We need to pay attention to it. And um, and an interesting thing about it is that those higher levels, the organizations, sadly, that have been politicized, and 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 very sadly, even the organization I came out of, the CIA, um, and I I loved that. I mean, there was nothing greater than being a paramilitary case officer. Oh, yeah. I mean, spy life was oh, yeah, man. phenomenal, man. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it was great. It was the ultimate duty for a patriot, you know, yeah. go and no one knows and no one's right. going to ever thank you. Yeah. And you're just going to do it because it's the right thing to do, you know? But now when I have discussions uh, with friends of mine that are on the seventh floor or other places in the agency, um, it's, uh, it's very much the same uh, conversation, man, this place sucks. It's not like it used to be. It's full of winning, you know, weenies and, and uh, we can't even stay focused on our mission. And it's, it's become a, a hodgepodge of social um, whatever, you know, injustice in the minds of everybody that's here. Everybody's a victim. They're more concerned about their club than they are, you know, the security of the United States or, you know, it's just, it's just gotten rotten. And it's four, uh, the, it's four levels deep, whatever that means. And I don't know what that means, but it's a phrase that's, that's repeated in the ranks of the agency that the corruption mm-hmm. is four levels deep. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that's like SIS down to GS-15 or what that means. But that too, that too, after Brennan was in there, was by design. I mean, you know, in the words of people that are still there and they're there because they're so close to retirement, you know, 
when John Brennan entered as the foot soldier of Obama, which is the way they phrase it, um, he began uh, to restructure the agency. And it too was by design so that we would end up with what we now have there. Um, the scary part about that is I came from a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I just came from a, a, a group of guys who were real spies. I mean, these were cold warriors, you know, these were the guys from Bill Casey. I even remember yeah. meeting Bill Casey. That's I mean, awesome. these were spies, spies, you know, and they played hardball and it was all always about the security of the nation. It wasn't about political agenda or what some congressman wanted. Now, that's not to say that those meetings didn't take place and people tried to influence, but when there were people like, you know, Gates there or Woolsey or Casey, these guys, as far as I can remember, um, were honored for their tenacity, uh, their cunning, and their love of country. You know, and what do we do? And oftentimes they were the guys that weren't liked by the president or politicians because they said, look, we're we're not your we're not your, you know, your go boys. We're here to do one thing, collect intelligence. We don't set policy, collect intelligence and then provide that intelligence to Congress who would set policy. Now it seems to be the opposite. Now the intelligence they gather is part and parcel to those who have a political agenda that will best suit their cause or their special need or whatever it is, whether it's Democrat or Republican or whatever it may be. And that's sad because now what used to be very special about being a spy for the United States is now not so special. Now you're doing the bidding of politicians and big corporations and yeah. you may not even you may not even know that but a lot of people are recognizing that now so talk about deception yeah the big picture well, i think on a closing note i'm i'm banking on the hand of god <laughs> I, I i truly doesn't mean that there's isn't work to be done but we got the big guy in our corner yeah well you're right tommy we do that's good let us never, never forget that. It doesn't matter if you forget it or not. It's, it's just what it is. Yeah. Well, my dad always said this, and I always try to hang on to this. And I'll share this with you in our audience. One man or one woman with courage is a majority. Yeah. That's it. One man or one woman with courage is a majority. And use that to always do the right thing. As Charles Bukowski said. You don't need to hold on to a flame. Just hold on to a spark. A spark can burn down a forest. Amen to that. That's true. So Hell good. Yeah. Boss of buzz. Dude, that was awesome. Thanks. I, Tommy. I normally, I normally can't pay attention past an hour. That was awesome. That is, that is the biggest compliment I can give to someone is if the podcast keeps going. So thank you so much, man. Thank you, you have no choice. You're coming on a second time. I'll text you. We'll schedule one. And, uh, yeah. Boss of buzz running for governor of uh, Colorado. <laughs> he, does, he hasn't accepted it yet. He hasn't accepted it yet, but it's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. All right.
Well, good, Tommy. Thank you. God bless you, man. Thank Thanks you for so having much, me on brother. the podcast. That was and, awesome. Uh, we'll man. check in with you later. Okay. Absolutely. That dude, that was awesome. Thank you for two hours of your day. That was incredible. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. I'll put all your stuff in the description. Everybody go go check out his stuff. Go check out the 5013C. Put all that there. And uh I'll text you and we'll schedule another. Thank you so much, sir. God bless. Yeah. You God too. Bless, man.